This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Chapter 7. Sustainable Economics, Shaping a New Landscape Today's economy is almost exclusively lion habitat. The structures, policies, mechanisms and professions for the most part support lion behavior, unlimited growth, speculative markets, unfair competition and unchecked concentration of economic power. Yes, the state has at its disposal antitrust units and monopoly commissions to protect the public interest and they do intervene. But you only have to look at how mergers and acquisitions have soared over the last 20 years to realize that apart from one or two notable exceptions that were disallowed, the trend has been irresistible. This tells you something. It is unreasonable to expect companies to shapeshift without the economy being transformed as well. We need an economy that encourages the emergence of elephant companies who are quite happy to coexist with other companies rather than gobble them up. A sustainable economy is therefore defined as one which ensures the provision of appropriate goods and services to enhance the quality of life of all citizens, and done in a way that is socially just and equitable as well as ecologically sustainable and responsible. That is quite a mouthful. However, we are not implying by it that some big brother should oversee the distribution in accordance with his notion of justice and fairness. Given human nature, the majority of goods and services will inevitably end up in his hands. On the other hand, we are urging you not to believe the roars and purrs of politicians and economists who are stuck in the TINA trap, where TINA stands for there is no alternative. Instead, we must embrace the promise of Temba. There exist many better alternatives, some of which are introduced in the sections to follow and all of which preserve freedom of choice. Indeed, certain of the suggestions enhance freedom of choice for the poor. Measures, tracking the big game. The issue of blind devotion to growth was touched on previously as one of the legacies of the lion. This section looks in more detail at the concept of indicators, the limitations of gross domestic product or GDP as a measure of progress, as well as some of the more elephant-friendly alternatives. The world we live in is exceedingly complex. We use indicators to simplify things. Indicators work in the same way as a map. They're meant to be a guide, a representation of reality, which help us to understand the lie of the land. The scale of the map and what it is trying to measure will determine how accurately and completely it approximates reality. It is the same with indicators. Some indicators are overarching, global estimates. Others are detailed, local measures. Some focus on economic activity, others on social welfare. They help us to understand where we're at and how things have changed over time. Checked against our objectives, indicators tell us whether things are good or bad, better or worse. So far, so good. Except that sometimes we get lazy. In the midst of our information overload, we are tempted to oversimplify. We settle for using a 
1 to 50,000 scale map when really we need a 1 to 5,000. Or we use a two-dimensional route map when a three-dimensional contour map is called for. This is the main problem with economic indicators today. GDP is the classic example of a blinkered lion approach to indicators. GDP is a simple and useful measure of economic activity, the sum of all the goods and services produced and sold in a country in a given year. Yet ever since its invention, politicians, multilateral agencies and economists have used GDP as a proxy measure for progress, welfare and quality of life. As seen through the eyes of an elephant, there are a number of serious limitations to GDP as an indicator today. The main weakness is that GDP measures the quantity but not the quality of economic growth. For example, if there is a war, an environmental catastrophe or rapid growth in the narcotics trade, more goods and services are sold but society is not better off as a result. To simplify, GDP makes no distinction between the goods and the bads in the economy. GDP also ignores vast areas of economic activity simply because they are not included in the formal economy. This includes the invisible work performed by households, parents, communities, charities, religious institutions, NGOs and the informal sector. The economic value of these free activities is enormous, yet they go unrecognized. On the other hand, GDP fails to pick up inequity or ethical considerations. It tells us nothing about the conditions under which the goods and services were produced, who is buying them or how the revenues are being distributed. For instance, we don't know how much of the economic growth derives from the hands of child labor or whether bribery and corruption assisted in clinching an extra deal. Yet, if GDP continues to go up, this is interpreted as a sign that all is well. Finally, GDP fails to capture local conditions. The economy may very well be growing nationally, but unemployment and poverty in an urban township in South Africa could be acute. On the other hand, a rural village in Chile, which has a negligible effect on GDP and the official employment rate, may be very much self-sufficient with a high quality of life. One wonders, for instance, what the turnaround in Stutterheim's fortunes, a small town in the eastern Cape of South Africa, whose mayor has transformed it into a thriving small business network, contributed to GDP. Fortunately, the elephant supporters who are critics of GDP have not been without suggestions for improvement. They propose that GDP be turned into a better indicator of overall welfare or quality of life through various adjustments. At the same time, separate indicators to supplement GDP should also be developed. The most widely recognized adjusted GDP measure is the Human Development Index, produced by the United Nations since 1990. In 1995, the UN also introduced variations to HDI in the form of the Gender-Related Human Development Index and the Gender Empowerment Measure, and in 1997, the Human Poverty Index. This high-profile measure, with components such as life expectancy, education, health, access to basic services, income inequality, and long-term unemployment, 
begins to move us beyond tracking only lion behavior. One of the previously mentioned conclusions of the 2000 Human Development Report, which contains HDI rankings for 1998, is that the link between economic prosperity and human development is neither automatic nor obvious. For example, while South Africa rates 49 in GDP per capita out of 173 countries on the basis of purchasing power parity in US dollars, it is ranked much lower down at 103 in terms of its HDI score. Furthermore, South Africa has virtually the same HDI as El Salvador, but more than double the GDP per capita. Conversely, Vietnam and Guinea have similar incomes, but vastly different HDI scores. Sweden, on the other hand, lies just outside the top 20 at 21 on GDP per capita, but comes sixth on HDI. Another even more comprehensive adjusted GDP measure is the Index for Sustainable Economic Welfare, first developed by former World Bank economist Herman Daly and co-author John Hobb. The first index was calculated for the US and published in their 1989 book For the Common Good. The index, as its name suggests, has all the features of an elephant tracking device, with more than 20 factors adjusting for the social and environmental costs of growth. The index has been calculated for nine countries to date, including Australia, Austria, Chile, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Sweden, the UK and America. All the countries have displayed the same basic pattern when plotted against GDP, namely that despite ongoing economic growth since the 1950s, the Index for Sustainable Economic Welfare has slowed, leveled or declined. In other words, although we have become collectively richer if money is used as a yardstick, we are less well off in terms of human well-being and development. At some point in the last 50 years, our lifestyle reached a peak and thereafter began to erode on account of the very factor that was supposed to enhance it, industrial growth. Thus, economic expansion no longer translates automatically into a better quality of life. The Genuine Progress Indicator, developed by U.S. public policy research organization Redefining Progress, takes a similar approach to the Index for Sustainable Economic Welfare and reaches similar conclusions. While GDP has more than doubled in America since the 1950s, the genuine progress indicator shows an upward curve from the early 50s until about 1970, but a gradual decline of roughly 45% since then. The index creators conclude that modern economic growth is actually uneconomic. The costs have begun to outweigh the benefits. Much of what we now call growth of GDP, they say, is really just one of three things in disguise – fixing blunders and social decay from the past, borrowing resources from the future, or shifting functions from the traditional realm of household and community to the realm of the monetized economy. The Pilot Environmental Sustainability Index is an example of an elephant indicator that seeks to supplement rather than adjust pure economic measures like GDP. The index was developed by the World Economic Forum in collaboration with Yale and Columbia universities, 
and launched at their annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland in 2000. The index has been calculated for 56 economies. It is an extremely comprehensive index comprising 64 variables grouped under the following five components. Environmental systems, environmental stresses and risks, human vulnerability to environmental impacts, social and institutional capacity, and global stewardship. One of the primary conclusions from the index's analysis, which was mentioned earlier in this podcast, is that there is no clear relationship between a country's observed economic growth rate and its environmental sustainability. Interestingly, however, a correlation does exist between an economy's sustainability index and its economic competitiveness index. This suggests that economic performance and environmental sustainability are not necessarily trade-offs. Occasionally, the correlation breaks down. For example, while Sweden's economic competitive index is almost half of that of the United States, its sustainability index score is significantly higher. Another facet of elephant-type economics thinking is to encourage local economic activity and community-driven self-reliance. Development of community-based economic indicators of welfare and quality of life is of great assistance in this process. National measures provide useful information for national policies, but quality of life is always a local experience. GDP, sustainable economic welfare, genuine progress indicator, these may all be registering an improvement countrywide, but this is not helpful to a local community experiencing job layoffs and increased crime, or living next to a polluting factory, or suffering from dust storms caused by wind blowing off near slimes dams. An example of community indicators is the Quality of Life Index, developed by Pierce County, Washington, USA. This benchmark project tracks 80 indicators grouped into nine separate areas of local concern. Tracking the quality of life index between 1989 and 1996, for example, showed an overall improvement of 6%. The true value of the measure, however, is in its detail. Pierce County discovered that 46 indicators had improved, 26 had declined, and 8 showed no real change. This kind of localized information empowers the community to tackle those specific areas where quality of life is suffering, enhance those that are stagnant, and maintain the improvement of those that are rising. Over the past 100 years, we've become increasingly aware of the interconnectedness of our global world. A highly complex web of relationships and dynamic forces shape our lives, And yet we still use outdated, simplistic and incomplete measures of progress such as GDP. As futurist Hazel Henderson says, this is literally like trying to fly a 747 with only one gauge on the instrument panel. Citing another analogy, she says, imagine if your doctor, when giving you a checkup, did no more than check your blood pressure. In our fast-paced, information-overloaded society, indicators will become more and more important feedback signals in helping us to make effective decisions. Hence, we can no longer afford to be employing measures that mislead or disguise the real state of our progress. We need to put economics into its proper perspective. 
As only one measure of one dimension of human activity with potentially positive and negative impacts on society and the environment. In other words, we need to tag the lion and describe its movements and behavior accurately. Similarly, we need to tag and track the elephants. By creating more balanced, holistic indicators, economics can once again be made to serve humans and the planet, and not the other way around.